hello hello welcome back to ipv and me uh it has been two weeks since i uh made my comeback after the long few months where i was not recording anything and i have to say since i released my last episode um i've seen such a huge jump in listenership since i I'm putting it down to the release of the Piece Over Pieces uh, podcast that I did an interview for. Um, I've had a lot of people message me saying that they heard me on there and they then listened to my own podcast and I appreciate that so much. And it just goes to show, guys, any time you share my podcast or you know, recommend it to somebody, give me a rating online. It makes a huge, huge, huge difference to me and I really appreciate that. And um, thank you to everybody who reached out to me over the last couple of weeks uh, to check in on me, first of all, and see how I was doing health-wise. Uh, I know I had a a pretty big uh, talk about that um, on the last episode so thank you for that and also just for everybody who reached out just say that they listened to the show um, however they came across it whether it's people I know in my own life or just random strangers messaging me and everyone that's messaged to let me know that you know my podcast has helped them realize that they've been in an abusive relationship or it's helped them through it made them see that they're not alone in how they're feeling I appreciate that so much and it is what keeps me going um I'm feeling really tired and today I went back to work full-time last week after over three months uh so my body is a little exhausted my feet are in pain um so I was I I'll be honest I was very lazy about recording today all I wanted to do was just veg out on the couch so I am actually recording this from my couch which I normally don't do um but I just I I have to um I have to be comfortable today also today's episode is going to be quite short uh for this being the main reason um I came across this the format's going to be a little different also I came across this book recently on uh Kindle Unlimited I'm pretty sure it's still on there I'm not 100% sure though I linked it in the bio for the episode um but it is a book called Hashtag She Wins there is also a follow-up of that book too which I have not read yet but I've also linked it and the book has stories from uh, lots of different women so it's not just one person's story um it's lots of little short stories of people and what they went through um and it is also you know it shows them going through the relationship and then how they came out the other side a lot of them are working with domestic abuse victims now a lot of them have thrived in their personal lives and their careers uh so it's a really positive book um if you want to see what the outcome can be it's not all doom and gloom and there is hope there is light at the end of the tunnel um so it's a really great book i've included just some of the stories here i recommend 
uh, reading them and reading all the the stories I I left out a lot of the details I just wanted to kind of summarize a lot of it just for um the podcast just to shorten it down and I also didn't want to take away from you know people actually reading the book too um so like I said I left a link in the bio pretty sure they're both on kindle unlimited and yeah so let's get on with it So I'm going to start with Amy's story. Amy wishes she could say she was young and naive, but she was 38 with two teenagers who she raised alone. She was strong and smart and independent, although she felt all of the warning signs were there. They met for a drink after she had had dinner with her kids. He was handsome, charming and edgy. He came on strong and intense. She felt wanted and was excited and intrigued. He was capable of doing anything like fixing things for her or making out-of-this-world dinner arrangements. She was impressed. After the first three weeks, he informed her they were getting married that summer. She laughed and said she didn't even know his middle name. He looked at her sternly and said, John. She remembers getting chills at the time and now that makes perfect sense to her. The following morning, he told her he couldn't wait any longer, so she threw caution to the wind and they were married two weeks later. Once their guests left the wedding, he began to put her head put in her head that her friends and family who didn't approve of the marriage didn't need to be part of her life. He said they would try and tear them apart or that they were jealous of him. She remembers crying when he threw what he called her stupid fucking wedding dress on the floor and kicked it. She remembered praying to fall asleep so that it would all be over. She blamed the emotional outburst on all the alcohol he had consumed. Unfortunately, this will become a habit for him. Throughout the 15 months they were married, things got progressively worse. She began to dread being near him. She never knew if he was going to be exuberantly happy and in love with me guy, or I hate you, you stupid fucking bitch guy. Sometimes he was the suicidal, I can't do anything right guy. And all of this rings true for me too. It is quite common for this to happen. She always tried to keep the peace by doing what he asked because it was easier. Without knowing it, she had given up control of everything. She only felt comfort at work. One Saturday, she came home from a busy day at the salon where she hadn't been able to answer his texts fast enough. Her children were with their father for the weekend. He was waiting for her in the kitchen and grabbed her by the back of the head, threw her to the floor and began calling her degrading and disturbing names. He pushed her towards the bathroom and made her take her clothes off and kneel in the bathroom. She cried and begged him to not make her do it. He urinated in her face and all over her naked body. He accused her of having sex with her boss. He gave her a cold shower to rinse off. Then he raped and beat her repeatedly. One afternoon, she saw his phone laying open while he was passed out drunk. She could see there was child pornography on the screen. She snapped and attacked him with the phone, catching him by surprise. She kept asking, what the fuck is wrong with you? He said, I do fucked up shit to people I hate, and then kicked her between her legs so hard she lost all control of her body. After some time, she crawled into her son's room on her stomach, feeling certain she was going to die there on the floor. Hours went by before she woke again. She managed to leave while her husband was putting fistfuls of pills in his mouth. A close friend made her go to the cops. 
A huge weight lifted off of her when he was arrested. He was charged with domestic assault and attempted murder. He wasn't able to get bail. Soon after, the court dates began. She would feel fear and anxiety every time a new date came up. She couldn't understand why she felt that way. She knew she was supposed to feel free. She should have felt happy, but felt the opposite. And this is so true too. And I think it's something that I've spoken about before, but it's such an important thing to point out that you don't just leave the abuser and then suddenly it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like you've gone through this huge, huge trauma and just because you're not being abused now every day and you're not around this person, there's so much to deal with after that. You're trying to process the fact you're trying to understand that what happened to you was abuse that it wasn't your fault even though you've spent so much time thinking to yourself that it was your fault and then you know you have people around you who don't understand why you're not feeling happy either I had a friend question me like I don't understand why you're not happy it's over it's done and I was so upset because I was like well I am I supposed to feel happy because I don't feel happy like it takes years and years and years to process everything and to feel okay again so I think that this is a really big point that this woman makes here and it's something that not just we as victims and survivors need to understand but also people who you know, our friends or family of people who have been through such a big trauma, you know, just to be a little more understanding and to know that it's going to take a lot of time and there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. So Amy turned to alcohol to cope. She came across some domestic violence Facebook pages and connected with some women who shared their stories. Reading one woman's story felt like reading about her own life she began to embrace the support along with the support of her family. And again, this is another reason why I shared my story in the beginning. Um, I think it's so important. When I was towards the end of my relationship and I was realizing that what was happening to me wasn't just a bad relationship, it was reading other people's stories that made me strong enough to believe that you know I'm not in the wrong here and I can leave too and I can be okay too. 10 months after his arrest he took a plea in the district court. The superior court took four more years. She was still turning to alcohol. Her physical as well as her mental health began to suffer. She learned she had cancer and needed a full hysterectomy. She continued to drink, but was one day confronted by her friend's mother. She quit drinking six weeks before her hysterectomy. She slowly began to feel physically and mentally better. She's currently at the best place in her life, is 18 months sober and 16 months cancer-free. She has gained a sense of pride and no longer walks with a sense of shame. She is proud of herself and what she has overcome. And this is Miranda's story. Being in a violent marriage was never Miranda's plan. She saw him in her geometry class and he became her high school crush. He asked her on a date during her senior year and their relationship began. He would give her flowers every week, a Pandora bracelet sent to her job as a surprise, vacations. She was in love. 
She went to college an hour away but commuted twice a week to see him. She eventually moved in with him and he proposed. Her parents didn't agree. After the wedding, things changed quickly. He lost his job so she worked too to pay the bills. She did all the chores and cooking. She did all of these things because she loved him. A couple of months later, when she checked their savings account, it was drained. At the time, he was doing stupid things, always looking for a new level of intensity in his life. She felt she had to be responsible for him. They began fighting with lots of screaming and yelling at each other. He often threatened to kill himself and would point a gun at himself and even at her. He would drive off in his truck and she would wonder if he would ever come back. One night after drinking, he began to choke her. But the next day, he said he was sorry. The fights became more frequent and more violent. He isolated her from friends and questioned everywhere she went. Had she met guys? Was she cheating on him? She felt like a piece of shit. He threatened to divorce her if she didn't get pregnant. Then on Valentine's Day, he would get her gifts and flowers and balloons to put on a show that everything was good. She later found out that while she would be at work, he was having affairs and spending their money on cocaine. She never left because she had always been taught that divorce was not an option and that anything could be worked out. One night, they were on their way home from a Christmas party and began fighting in the truck. He told her he was going to kill himself and he pulled over. She took the gun out of the glove box to throw it out of the truck, but he tackled her and they both fell out of the truck. She felt excruciating pain. She thought she was going to die. In a panic, he called 911 and she was rushed to the hospital. She had surgery and lost some feeling in her hands. They made up some excuse that it was an accident. After that, she knew they were done. She began to peel herself away from him emotionally. When she stepped away, she saw the reality of the situation. She knew divorce was her only option. Now she gets to hang out with her friends and all of the other simple things she could never do. Next up is Laverne's story. During the first 15 years of her life, Laverne was witness to her father's physical, emotional and verbal abuse of her mother on the island of Trinidad. Weekly attacks were the norm. They all walked on eggshells to please him so he would keep his cool. The times when the police were called on him were frustrating to her as he was never arrested. He was able to talk his way out of it every time. Back then, domestic violence was looked upon as a husband and wife thing. And honestly, I still think in a lot of places, not even places, but I think a lot of people just think like, oh, that's between the husband and the wife and it's no one's business. Um, but I personally believe domestic abuse is everybody's business should be everybody's business Laverne was the only one of her siblings who migrated to the US to finish high school she had always said she would never end up in her mother's situation but she did the first time her abuser slapped her he followed it up with an elaborate apology of voicemails of flowers and a touching note she deduced it to an isolated incident because he had never done anything like that before and it seemed sincere in his apology she believed the honeymoon phase of their relationship would return if she could prove to him she loved and forgave him after every attack. After all, he was so sorry, but she made him do it. She believed she was part of the problem and could therefore change his behaviour by changing her own. The reason for his attacks always seemed to stem from jealousy. If someone looked at her for too long or if he thought she was looking at another man, he would attack in the form of verbal assaults, kicking, punching and strangulation. She hid it for two years until she reached her breaking point and sought help for injuries after the last attack. 
During a jealous rage, he beat her from 9pm until 2am. He grabbed a knife and pinned her down and straddled her on the bed. He held a knife to her throat. The more she pleaded for him to stop, the more enraged he became. At times he would stop to hurl verbal assaults and then resume spitting, strangling, punching and slapping her. When he finally stopped, she fell asleep. She had no choice but to lay next to him in fear. She felt a sharp pain in her upper thigh and abdomen. She finally built up enough courage to leave the apartment and get a cab to the hospital. She had rib and upper torso contusions. She lied to the doctor and said she fell in the shower. Two weeks went by and she heard nothing from her abuser. He then showed up at her apartment and demanded to be let in. He tried to break the locks. She pressed her body to the door and called the police. He left when he heard her talking to them. When they arrived, they discovered the wires to her landline had been cut. She realised how unsafe she was and filed for a restraining order. In the following years, it took her a long time to learn to love herself again. Why had she let herself fall into this kind of relationship? Her spiritual fate, as well as friends and family, helped her get through it. During a pageant interview years later, she opened up about her story. Her family embraced her going public and her mom and two brothers moved to the US while her father stayed in Trinidad. She was founded the Love Life Now Foundation to raise awareness and connect people with shelters. She is a proud wife and mother to two children. I love that ending. I think it's so beautiful. I love that her family embraced her going public and were supportive of her. I think that's fantastic and that makes me super, super happy. Next is Kenda's story. Kenda's abuse started shortly after having surgery for an ectopic pregnancy. She would come home from work and he would be drinking. He started accusing her of trying to get with his friends and of sleeping with her manager. He said it was because they weren't having sex like they used to. She tried to explain it was because of the pregnancy and she was depressed about losing their baby while he celebrated the loss. One night he threw her against the wall and choked her. She remembered thinking if she just loved him enough he'd stop. One time in their bedroom he blocked the door and wouldn't let her out. He stood there and screamed at her. She went to the window to escape. He grabbed her ankles and yanked her back inside causing her to hit her chin on the windowsill and it burst open. There was blood everywhere. The neighbours called the police as they heard the screaming. She had already cleaned up the blood by the time they arrived. They separated them for questioning, but she told them they had just had an argument. He asked her to roll up her sleeves. Her arms were severely bruised. The other cop frisked her boyfriend. He found marijuana and cuffed him and took him to jail. They booked him for domestic abuse and possession. He was out the next day and came straight home. He asked her if they were over and she proclaimed her love for him. It wasn't long before it started again. They had taken in a homeless 12-year-old boy. He accused her of sleeping with him. He grabbed her, threw her against the wall and started choking her. The boy ran away terrified. She blacked out. When she came to, the apartment was empty. It took her forever to get to her feet and she called her parents. She tried to talk but nothing would come out. Her mother knew something was wrong and told her father to go to her. He showed up with the cops. He was standing there with a gun in his hand asking where her boyfriend was. He asked her if she'd had enough yet and wanted out. She said she was and he helped her pack her things. She had a difficult time being on her own. She didn't know what to do with all the time on her hands she had now. But eventually she started learning how to live her life again.
Adrian's story. Adrian was the life of the party before she met him. He was the most charming person she'd ever met. He'd never had a girlfriend before her. That should have been a red flag. She fell hard and fast. The first six months were amazing, but she didn't know he was sleeping with other women. They were engaged for seven years, but never married. She realised he had the the ability to blame everything on her and to convince her it was all her fault. He could talk his way out of anything. If she confronted him about a lie, he denied it. He would make her feel crazy for ever thinking he was wrong. Something inside her broke the first time he spit in her face. She could see in his eyes that her brokenness excited him. It was one of his favourite things to do. I think of all things to do, there's just something about spitting. It's just so degrading. It's disgusting, obviously, but it's just like, it really just shows that this person thinks you are absolutely worthless to them. He convinced her she was lucky to have him, that no one else would want a worthless failure like her. It became a daily event. She walked on eggshells to keep the abuse to a minimum. Eggshells is something that you hear continually throughout stories of domestic abuse. It's definitely something that I know the feeling of. I've mentioned it to people when I describe it before. I It's like you're literally just trying to almost kind of hide yourself and quieten yourself just so they don't really pay attention to you. It's just the worst feeling. The physical abuse soon escalated. She was so scared of him. She didn't fight back because she knew he would kill her. She could tell by the look in his eyes as he choked her that he was capable of it. He would watch the life leave her eyes and then let go so she could gasp her air. Sometimes he would stand there holding a gun. She would be hysterical and then go numb. There were times he would bend her over the bed and do whatever he wanted with her even if she said to stop. She wanted to disappear. There were times she thought she'd be better off dead. He would threaten to hunt her down and kill her if she ever left him. She learned to put on a happy face so no one would know the truth. If someone knew, it would make it real. She thought if she could make everything perfect, things would get better. Clean the house, cook the perfect meal, don't say anything stupid. She was wrong. Nothing she did was ever good enough. When she was six months pregnant with her first child, he fractured her ribs and ankle. She had some friends take her to the emergency room. She had told him her dog knocked her down the stairs. She would ER hop so no one would pick up the on the abuse. The doctors would always ask her if she felt safe in her home. She would always lie. Um, this is something too that I wanted to point out. Um, I don't know if anyone has had this experience, but I when I was in the emergency room um, last month and they were doing my intake for him and they did ask me all of the you know domestic abuse questions and I was really so happy to hear them ask that I think it's it's a great time for people to be honest and you know open up to somebody and maybe like say and let them know that like yeah maybe something isn't quite right but I just think it's a fantastic thing um 
that they do in hospitals and I hope that every hospital does it I'm not sure if they do or not I know when I was in Ireland I definitely wasn't asked any of those questions uh, in the hospital but um, I think it's a really really great idea when her child was two he used to try and protect her from his dad but when he would step in front of her he would continue screaming even though his son was there it finally clicked with her that she needed to leave one night when he called her to pick him up from a bar in the middle of the night. She loaded her two kids into the car and drove to the bar. He was drunk and mostly high. On the drive home, he grabbed her phone and tried to throw it out the window. He punched her in the face and jerked the wheel trying to run them off the road. Her three-year-old started screaming, Daddy's trying to kill us, over and over. She stopped at his friend's place and let him out of the car. He stood yelling and cursing in the yard that she was the one who made who had done this, not him. Her oldest asked her what she had done to make daddy so mad. She knew they had to get out. That is so sad to hear those poor little kids saying that. It took time to gain the courage to leave. He kicked her and the kids out like he had done many times before. Her mother drove, drove 12 hours through the night to pick her up. As they were leaving, he leaned into the kids and said they couldn't see daddy anymore because mommy is bad. For a few months after, she desperately wanted to go back to him. She believed she couldn't be without him. Now she is aware of the strength she has and the respect she deserves. She married a great man. She is determined to use the hell she went through to help others. Nicole's story. Nicole's abuser was well known in their community. He coached children's sports teams. They looked like a perfect family from the outside. A beautiful house, nice cars and good jobs. He wanted to control who she was with and what she did while he could do whatever he wanted. He would strategically put her down in the form of jokes, followed by, I was just kidding and it won't happen again. My ex used to do this to me. Actually, my my abusive ex used to do this to me and my ex before that used to do that to me as well, which I have mentioned before that there were definitely some little patterns of abuse in that relationship too. And it's just the worst thing. Like, whatever about if it is just joking, legitimately just jokey jokey, and like it's there's no abuse and whatever, and it's just like how your relationship is. Like to do it in front of other people, I feel like it's such like it's just like a low blow. I don't think you should ever talk bad, you know, about your partner when your partner's there and in front of like your friends, mutual friends, their friends, your friends, whatever it is. I just think it's horrible. I've had people do it in front of me before, like other couples, and I will always stick up for the person that's been like made fun of because I just think it's a horrible feeling. Like whatever about having, you know, little jokey things between yourselves or like, you know, the little stupid annoying things that the other person does, but like keep it in your own relationship. I hate it. It just really, really, really bothers me. She believed he would change every time. After a few years together, they married and had two kids. The emotional abuse was, was exacerbated and the physical abuse began. It started with him pushing her and throwing things at her. They were together for 19 years, but the last year was the worst. There were no more apologies from him. He enjoyed having power and control over her. One day he became enraged when she tried to leave the house. He dragged her inside, punched her, choked her and held a gun to her head. He described all the ways he could kill her and anyone who tried to come to her rescue. When she finally told her mother, she was shocked. They came up with a plan and she fled with her sons to her sister's place for two weeks while he was served with a protection order. She filed for divorce and he made it as difficult financially for her as he could. 
He drained every bank account they had, transferred credit card debt to her and opened up new cards in her name, exactly like my ex did. He threw away every pair of shoes she had, leaving her only one pair of shoes and boots. The appliances she was allowed to take from the home had disappeared, except for the deep freeze, which he had unplugged and so had ruined everything in it. Every time they would get close to settling the divorce, he would fire his attorney and hire a new one. It was his way of still trying to keep control of her. And again, this is a huge reason why I keep saying people that say, oh, why doesn't the woman just leave him if it's that bad? Blah, 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 blah. Like, this is one of many, many reasons why. Like, look at this hell that this woman is still being put through. The pettiness. It's just, it's so hard. And for some people, it is just easier to stay in the relationship because you're going through all of this stuff and then a lot of people you know this one was lucky she had her mom her sister helping her out like a lot of people don't have family to help them out they still had to share custody of the kids he made the exchanges as complicated as possible she would pull up to get the kids and he would drive off with them he would tell her to meet them at the gas station but not say which one even though she didn't tell him where she had moved to, he still had her social security number. And so he called the electrical company to obtain her address. Now, I'm pretty sure I've spoken about this before. There are things that you can do to get your address blocked from anybody finding it. Um, I'm going to, I know I've, I've definitely mentioned it before, but I'm going to find the... Uh, company that I used and I will add it to the bio of this episode if it's not this episode then it might be in the the main bio it just might take me a little bit because I have to go through my paperwork because I know I still have their their card and everything but there is like forms you can fill out uh, where you can get your address blocked anything like that so people um, can find out your uh, information sorry about that guys um that was my three-year-old nephew calling me so uh i had to stop and answer him um i wouldn't do that for anybody else <laughs> uh he started uh preschool today uh not sure how it went he was a little tired i think so there wasn't much chat um but yeah sorry about that anyways let's get back to it so he began stalking her. He threw a cigarette in her face after coming to her door. She called the police and he was arrested for domestic violence. Her son was also a victim. When he was 10, his father assaulted him because he wasn't going to make the wait for the football team. He threatened that if he told anyone, he would come to their house and beat his mother with brass knuckles and a baseball bat. Imagine the fear that that poor child would have like that's so disgusting he said to the son that her face would look like raw hamburger meat when he was done with her when she heard about it she called the police again but they said there was nothing they could do it was her word against his there were 13 calls made to 911 which resulted in only two arrests he continued to harass and threaten her he would say he would come to her house when she was asleep and slit her throat. That was his favourite threat. He would threaten to throw acid in her face or disfigure her. She started recording their conversations. Finally, he was arrested for aggravated assault and she was granted full custody without visitation. But he continued to stalk them. 
He owed her 30k in child support but refused to pay it. A hearing was scheduled. He demanded she sign off on the child support or he would kill her. She spoke with his parole officer and the plan was that when the next report was made they would arrest him. He fought off the officers and was missing for days. During that time he called her more than 95 times saying again he would kill her if she didn't sign off. He was found five days later. That five days must have been absolute hell for this poor woman. When I say that these stories of men threatening to kill their partners, their former partners, they are legit. They should always be taken seriously. She read her victim impact statement during the hearing and the judge withdrew the original plea deal he had agreed to. This was her first win. He was sentenced to 15 months to five years. While in jail, he solicited an inmate to kill her for 50k. Two other inmates came forward saying he had bragged that they would see him on the news after his release for killing his kids in front of her and then torturing her to death. The judge said there wasn't enough evidence for a new trial, but she fought it and the Attorney General took her case. He was sentenced to 13 to 35 years. She now lobbies for change in legislation to protect victims of domestic violence. She has found healing and empowerment through her advocacy work. And if you think like, and I find this with my situation too, like that last story and how that ended up and how he was after she left him might seem dramatic to most might seem like oh he's just like a a worse like angrier uh, more dangerous abuser than your average abuser like I don't think that that's true I think that every single abuser is capable of this type of violence and these type of threats I think it can escalate to that point for any of them so any threat like this should always 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 be taken really really seriously Gabby's story Gabby met her abuser in 2011 she found him overwhelmingly attractive he said he had a strong bond and love for his family he had a great sense of humor and was charming he was very personable and likable to people he met she had no reason to think otherwise she didn't find it odd that he asked if she had ever heard of him or know of his past. He told her about an incident with his ex-girlfriend. At the time, he was in court because of it. She was naive and thought he was being honest. He won her over, but really, she was falling into his trap. Four months into their relationship, he started a year-long stint in jail. She stood by him. Five months after his release, she was held hostage for six days and abused in the most sickest, twisted and heinous ways one could imagine. He accused her of being unfaithful while he was in jail. He hit her across the face with the back of his hand several times. He choked her. He pulled her into the car by the hair while yelling at her. He said he couldn't stand her. He beat her with a belt across her backside in the middle of the woods in broad daylight. He forcibly injected her with heroin for the majority of the week, sometimes multiple times a day. He would call her a whore and a slut. He said he was going to bring her body to Western Massachusetts and no one would find it. It was clear he was going to kill her. She was forced to perform sexual acts on his dog. He filmed everything and used it as blackmail. He threatened her in every way. He tried to get her to quit her job and move away from her family and friends. 
On the sixth day, she went to work. She couldn't hold it in and told her boss, who figured out a plan for her to go to the police. He was found guilty the following year after a three-day trial and sentenced to only six years. She chose to go public with her story. She started to meet with other survivors. She continues to get stronger every day. And like that is so brave of that woman to come forward with like the acts that were done to her that she was forced to do are so completely vile and heinous in this particular case for her to come forward and tell her story publicly that is that woman is insanely brave and I really really applaud her for that Magna's story she was at his house one evening when he first hit her they hadn't been arguing she was actually quietly studying for an exam he started shouting at her then pinned her against the wall while calling her names he said he would break her walls and that's such a kick that these abusers get out of women too they just want to break you down his cheeks were red and his eyes were filled with rage he spat at her she pushed him away and he punched her she remembers feeling her skull shaking her glasses flew off then he started choking her she pushed him away again which further enraged him he dragged her to the bedroom and threw her on the bed. He kept choking her and punching her arms and stomach. He turned her around, pulled her arms behind her back and lifted her as if trying to break her back. He kept flipping her around and continued slapping her. She went limp. She went into shock. At some point he let go of her so she ran to the bathroom and locked herself inside. She stayed there for a couple of hours weeping. She questioned if well-educated women from good families got hit. He wept and told her it was a one-time thing. The second time he hit her was four months later during an argument. That was the first time she admitted to herself he had a habit of hitting her. She told his parents, who used to say she was the daughter they never had. They spoke to him and then told her she deserved it and that she shouldn't have provoked him. He continued to hit her for the next five years. She didn't tell anyone else about it out of a displaced sense of loyalty to him. She didn't want them, want them to hate the man she loved. She felt like he would see her love and would change. Her love was stronger than their pain. She started feeling like there was something wrong with her to make a man want to hit her. She was believing all of the things he had said about her. Her friends told her she looked miserable. She didn't even want to live anymore. She finally left him one night when he wouldn't let her cross her access her pads after she'd gotten her period. It was as if a veil had been lifted. She moved back to India and began taking up the cause for abused women in her country. Two years after she left, she was happy again. Michelle's story. She was sitting on the sofa nursing her son when she heard him pull into the driveway. Like so many other days, she had a nervous feeling in her stomach. What mood was he going to be in? He said hello to their daughter and went to shower. She saw her daughter's head peek up after a while, looking above and behind her as she still nursed her son. Her daughter's eyes were big and fearful. He came charging out of the bedroom. He put his arm around her neck from behind. Her son screamed. She tried to remove his arm while still trying to protect her baby son. She shouted at her daughter to run to her room. She managed to get out of the headlock, grabbed her phone and ran to her daughter's room, locking the door. She dialed 911. He started kicking at the door. No one was answering the phone. Then the door swung open. She told her daughter to run to the neighbours to get help. He went after her so she panicked and ran after him. 
He grabbed their daughter and held her back. Then Michelle ran to the back door. He looked confused as he wondered who to go after first. He let go of their daughter who ran out the door and across the yard. She heard voices approaching the house. It was the neighbours. The fear in her daughter's eyes that day made her realise she had to leave him. Maybe they wouldn't be so lucky next time. She had no family around and knew she needed a job. He threatened that she would never have anything. She struggled at first and never let her guard down. There was always something, harassing phone calls, hundreds of texts, her daughter saying she saw his car nearby. He would follow them, drive by their house. She never felt safe. One morning, she stayed home while her mother came by to take her daughter to school. There was a noise at the back door. It was him. He was trying to break down the door. There was a police officer with him. He had tried to convince him that he lived in her house. Afterwards, her neighbour told her they would often see him coming and going from the house, so he had had assumed that he also lived there. It turned out he had been hiding in her attic. That is so creepy. After that day, everything changed. She was no longer scared. She was angry. She became a fighter. She got an order of protection. Although she would still look over her shoulder, her life became so much better. She is now safe and secure with a new husband. Alejandra's story. The extravagant gifts and surprise romantic gestures only lasted a few months and turned to escalated arguments, threatening behaviour and vulgar screams. He claimed these outbursts were due to a troubled upbringing where he was abandoned. Only she could help him overcome it. Her terror was heightened when he purchased a handgun. He began using it as a way to manipulate her. He pointed to his head to end an argument. During one drunken night, he nearly choked her. He kicked her as she curled into a ball on the floor, her head hitting the wall over and over. She was certain she wouldn't make it out alive. It again ended with him holding the gun to his head, pleading for forgiveness. She left him over a week later. She did everything you're supposed to do. She never spoke to him again, filed charges, got a restraining order, moved out with a police escort by her side and reported each point of contact he made. She thought it was finally the end. In reality, the journey had just begun. Going through the legal process proved to be the most difficult part. She dived into books to learn about domestic violence. Knowledge was empowering. She began seeing a therapist. She went to trial, but no amount of evidence was enough for the jury and he was found not guilty. She felt defeated by the year-long process. Then her dad said something that changed her life. You're not going to let what's on a piece of paper determine the value of the rest of your life, are you? She learned she was unbreakable and now walks tall and proud. So that is it for today. Short and sweet. Hopefully I will be recovered uh, next week and can do a longer episode um, I have some exciting stuff coming up. I'm currently working on an episode that is probably going to be like a three-parter by the rate it's going. Uh, it's an episode, a story that I thought that I would never cover, but something I read recently just made me really determined to do it. Um, I'll let you guys guess what it's going to be. It's probably not going to be out for a long time, to be honest, because it's taking a lot of work. There's a lot of information on it and I want to get it as uh, right as possible. And I want to do the timeline as closely uh, as possible. And honestly, it's a little traumatic. So I'm taking a lot of breaks in between it because I find 
when I'm working on it for a little bit it just upsets me and I just need a little break um so yeah I'm gonna leave it there I'll be back in two weeks with another episode thank you guys for listening as always and you know again feel free to reach out to me online at Mangogs are all my socials at IPVME for the podcast and please rate on any platform you listen to the ratings really 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 help me and at thehotline.org if you need any help all the links again are in the bio thank you so much for listening i will talk to you again in two weeks so excited love you lots bye